Warning. Please note that this podcast contains strong language and touches on many topics that may not be considered appropriate for a work environment. If you choose to listen to this podcast where you can be overheard, we are not responsible for the consequences of your decision. You've been warned. We all have an X chromosome, and Bill is not here, so I'll be doing the introing and rambling for today's podcast. Uh, Remember that we have a website for our podcast, as well as Patreon, and we have our merch, and if you want to donate anything, we've got PayPal. If you want to send us anything, ask us anything suggest anything be sure to send us an email at write us at xchromosomepodcast.com that is write us at xchromosomepodcast.com and, and next so, week go ahead we should be talking about voting so oh we are going to be talking about voting because november is soon and um we're just gonna just if it's if it's good enough, we're just going to repeat this over and over again. Voting matters. Uh, we'll rant about that next week um, in our very first specific call to action uh, podcast. Uh, our website is www.xchromosomepodcast.com, <clears throat> and I'm sober, so we're off to a great start. Uh, we do have a guest this evening for our discussion of non-men and art and all sorts of things um, and non-men in the art industry one of our guests is in fact Huey who is also hosting but our other guest is Ilya Hamrick who is the person behind our fucking kick-ass logo so let let us shout that out as well but since I just minored in art history almost I'm basically going to take a back seat and maybe sort of steer things and let the art people talk about their awesome shit. So, it's Huey, Ilya, it's all you. It's funny. I almost minored in art history as well. Um, it's The only issue is the way the credits go in my college was kind of dumb. So I did not I was not able to get the minor, but I pretty much took all the classes necessary. Which is silly, but I love art history as much as the next person. I particularly love cubism and abstract expressionism for art. I know a lot of people are into the Renaissance. Like, my mom is a very Renaissance kind of oriented person. She's a painter, so uh, she likes the Renaissance and stuff a lot more. I'm a fan of the abstraction of form. Mostly because of cartoons, because I am a animator, 
So when it comes to cartoons, I like to think of things in a very abstraction of form, cubism, you know, abstract expressionism, so on and so forth. That's my shit. How about any of you two? Do you have a specific genre of art that you love or either love to create or read or whatever? Well, I, I have to pay homage to the Renaissance. I, I don't know too many artists who can get away with not, particularly the Italian birth of the Renaissance. I adore that time period and uh, freedom that came from the art from that. Even though it was still backhanded and hidden from the church, it was, or I shouldn't say hidden from the church, it was sponsored by the church and a lot of uh, religious money, but it was, the artists actually got to be themselves, and it was the first time they became first and foremost into their names, because prior to that, everything was all, you know, done for religion. Nobody actually got to to glorify themselves. Post-Renaissance, when you mentioned cubism and, and abstractism, I actually love expressionalism and impressionist paintings. I fell in love with Monet. Uh, his work is Monet is really good. It, it part of the thing that drew me to Monet is the fact that you can look at his art and you can watch his eyesight deteriorate. Uh, and one of the reasons <laughs> that's you can. I like um, that. You're right. I like that. <laughs> well, I, my my I myself am legally blind. I am I am negative nine and a half in contacts in both eyes. Negative ten point two five and ten point two seven five in the other eye. I can't fucking see shit in front of my face. <laughs> um, so uh, there is a deep connection with his loss of eyesight and the drive to continue to create uh, the, the, the need to continue to create, even though he couldn't see three inches in front of his nose. I can relate to that because if I take my glasses or contacts out, it's very much the same way. Moving further f- forward in history, I love typography (laughs) that may sound incredibly nerdy and boring to a lot of people but it's one of the things that drew me to my graphic design background I love good design good design I don't care if it's something that I personally find revolting as in the topic but if the design is excellent you're going to catch attention and it's one of those things where it's like you you can see that throughout history graphics symbolism all of that catches people's attention and doesn't let them go. And I love when it is done well, even if it's something that I cannot myself endorse. And I'm going to throw out the most obvious example of that would be the uh, repurposing of the swastika. That thing is cool looking, even though what it represents is abhorrent. And that is symbolism at its best. You recognize it immediately. You know immediately what it stands for. So that is something that draws my attention. So when I got asked to do the logo for for this, the thing that stood out to me the most was that X. And I was like, I need to make that stand out. So that's what I worked with and chose to do. Um, And I love doing that with anything. I love picking the pieces apart and seeing what is the best thing to use. And then how can I make that be the thing in and of itself that represents everything? That's really interesting. Uh, We had a conversation before the podcast started about the different schools of art and stuff that we kind of focused on, particularly with my kind of background, which is animation and sequential art in general, which is, it's funny because 
in my experience that even if it looks bad, if your story is good, that's what carries it. You know what I mean? And it's and it's not completely true because all bad animation is bad animation. People are going to pick it apart. People love to go thing, through things frame by frame. But ultimately, if the story is good, if it has a lot of meat to it, ultimately, people are going to be drawn to it no matter what. So it feels very interesting, the whole idea yeah. of, uh, for me, as I said, when I was doing my thesis, done is better than perfect, even though it's <laughs> different than you, for you. And it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I once, I don't remember what documentary I was watching or what it was, it was something about the difference between an artist, an illustrator and an artist. And I, my skills fall more towards illustration. And so when I heard this, I was like, it, it just resonated with me, which is the difference between an artist and an illustrator is an artist feels where the lines go and an illustrator plots. You know, they they plan where the lines go. Animation, some animation is very much that. It's not emotion. It is, I, I know what I need this to look like. But then everything has its own feel to it, its own stylized, stylization. And there is animation that does that. I mean, you can look at Disney and look at how they've evolved over the years. But each of their major motion pictures has a set style and feel to it. I mean, if you look at the Little Mermaid forward, the Renaissance, Disney's Renaissance, they went through a, they tried to make everything slightly different. Whereas you go back to that, you look at the Aristocats, you look at the Jungle Book, you look at um, Dalmatia, you know, 101 Dalmatians, all those looked the same. The backgrounds were the same. The characters were the same. Everything kind of had that same feel to it. But you go further back, you look at Snow White, you look at Cinderella, uh sleeping beauty leaps to mind because of those gorgeous cell shade or those you know gorgeous backgrounds they had those to me did not feel like animation they felt like paintings they felt like art and then you had the cells over top of them which was animation that had a set style that blended with the background which i think is a wonderful blend of artist and illustration yeah i mean one of the first things uh, you learn when it comes to just because my focus is storyboarding specifically because I am a very story and oriented person. I like character design. I like the story with regards to not only the script, but the emotion and stuff that goes with it. And pretty much the first thing you learn is this is how shots work. This is the film. And this is what happens. This is what it means. When you want a tense scene, you have a super close-up shot. Or if you want an establishing shot, you need an establishing shot at the start, somewhere in the start, all the time, in order for people to understand where the story begins. And I think that's really interesting because everything is purposeful. Even if it seems like it's not purposeful, uh, especially like, if you look at the difference between 3D animation, for example, as it has, even though I'm a 2D animation person, the sheer differences between 3D animation from before to now, even if the stories are similar or have the same themes. Uh, one of my favorite movies is Zootopia. <laughs> <laughs> it's because I'm a furry. Okay, it's because I'm a furry. 
But anyway, it has one of the most beautiful shots I have ever seen in a 3D animation. They knew what they were doing. They knew how to stylize animals to look at to look like certain things. Or one of my other favorite animations that's very underrated uh, is a 2D animation, Cats Don't Dance. Hmm. Very stylized, very dynamic, very illustrative in a lot of ways, but it still keeps up this rhythm. I always kind of compared animation to music in a lot of ways. There's a beat, there's a rhythm to it. You can't make things go faster. You can't make things go slower there has to be this kind of feel that goes with it. So it fe- oh, feels like that kind of blend, as you said. It's pretty interesting to me. Hmm. Uh, have you ever seen, um, this is came out uh, 81, 82, called Fire and Ice. It was an animation, animated movie, uh, an adult animated movie. It was not meant for children uh, that had, it was all based on Frank Fazetta artwork. Oh, God. Definitely, I heard definitely it. not for children. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> not at all. But one of the f- interesting facts was one of the background painters, one of the background uh, landscape designers and artists was um, Thomas Kincaid, who became a oh, real Jesus. big, yeah, a real big um, painter and very, very Christian in a lot of his views. But in his early days, he wanted to work with one of his idols, which was Frank Fazetta. I found I that, can't found that handle fascinating. That. <laughs> I can't handle that. That is information I didn't know. That's wild. Uh, yeah. <laughs> thought that myself when I discovered that little bit of info. Uh, because even though I cannot reconcile myself with, with Kincaid's views, um, I love his work. I, I absolutely love his use of color, his use of, of to just create this warmth glow that a lot of his paintings have, um, even though, you know, for him, it was a totally different. It was probably more of a spiritual thing. Um, I just love it for the use of color because it's, my, in my opinion, very close to modern impressionism, but with a, you know, scenic nature landscape bent. <laughs> Before we get into a topic of, like, Fritz the Cat, because <laughs> that's such a central aspect of furry animation, I actually wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to touch on, <laughs> I'm sorry. did not think we were going there, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I, unfortunately, I like, I hate our crumb, like the style. Mm, uh, I feel that way with with cubism as well to be fair i hate picasso he is a terrible person <laughs> love the artwork brack is better sweetie i <laughs> loathe van gogh but when i paint i look like it looks like van gogh so trust me i get it <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 a uh, it's unfortunately like a aspect of art history that has to be accepted mm-hmm. especially if you look at artists like gugan or anything mm-hmm. Ugh. We want to ignore him, but <laughs> I actually, I actually wanted to talk about what would be interesting to touch on, touching on these terrible people, art being political, you know, I think that that's not something that's talked about it often, if at all. I think, in fact, most people tend to think of art as non-political, as just from the feeling and the heart or whatever. And, you know, well, do you... 
do you consider the political cartoons art? Because that's <laughs> that's just a blend of what you're talking about. <laughs> well, also a lot of these modern art movements, um, I'm using modern for viewers, I'm using modern in the uh, in the, the textbook sense of modern art like Van Gogh, oh, yeah. uh, Picasso, and such like that, not specifically modern art of today. But if you look at modern art, a lot of these movements have always been political. People tend to forget that art is a political process, even if it is not seen by a viewer as political Or In our society, we tend to think that art is untouched by politics. In fact, I actually think the opposite. I think art is politics. Everything you create with art is politics. What do you think? Sound like you got dropped on me there. Um, So if you're asking if my opinion of that is, for me, I I agree that it's very hard for the artist to be not political to to have no views whatsoever so to divorce their opinions from their creations that is very hard to do so in that aspect yeah it it probably does have some message but that's what art is is message it is the individual trying to get across their point of view and their take on things and be it i don't want to have anything to deal with this or this is what I see, take it as you want. But that's the thing that drives me nuts is when they're like, oh, people interpret art and interpret this way, interpret that way. The person who made it had a point of view when they made it. So if you really want to know what it was, find what they wrote or go ask them. Uh, If they're dead. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no, we know nothing. Um I believe that all art is political. All art is motivated by something. Um, And all things that we do have an agenda of expression. Usually. I currently... Art is communication. Mm -hmm. Um, Art is a way to communicate the artist with an audience. And, you know, there are movements, if we look at futurism and stuff, that is specifically oriented to very fascist ideas and topics. Or if we look at art where uh, during the Soviet Union, where a lot of abstract art was destroyed because it was a symbol of rebellion and such that was not taken very well, despite, you know, the artists who created it in my my research for artists uh especially Malevich one one of my favorite artists uh was not looking at art in the sense of politics in the exact t but in the what does it mean the abstraction of form and such like that so art is always political uh and has always been and I totally agree with the idea of an artist has opinions an artist has things to say and their art will show it uh, especially if you look at a lot of muralist paintings or if we take it to the writing standpoint look at look at hp lovecraft <laughs> love love lovecraftian horror but there's that aspect of 
racism that is very and xenophobia and so on and so forth and anti-semitism that is very prominent within his work and it's very clear that it is yes it's very um i mean i love me some 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 lovecraft because he's good at word like he uses them well and in an evocative manner. I don't like that he's racist, but he's very good with language. And if only he could use his, if only he had used his powers for good. Yeah, I agree. I understand the man was very complicated and such like that, but it's not, you can't really divorce what he's done, what work he's done with his point of view and such, which is an unfortunate happenstance. Uh, because I, I think the idea of the worlds are very rich and the, you know, the mythology, I think it's extremely interesting. One of my favorite uh, authors, the, there are so many problematic authors and there are so many problematic artists. Like, as human beings, they're terrible people. That goes back to the human condition, basically. I mean, we're not black and white, so it does... And black and white in the sense of good, bad. Um, yeah, it, it, you're, you're never going to get somebody that's like that. And if you do, they're going to be boring as hell one way or the other. Richard Adams, author of Watership Down, has created such a interesting mythology and hero story and such for such a simple kind of theme. You know, I think those kinds of stories are extremely interesting to me and inspiring in a lot of ways. A lot of that kind of Aesthetic and ideas have definitely been used in a lot of D&D campaigns, not to nerd out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I remember writing about my thesis for one of my majors about how capitalistic values affected women artists of the Renaissance, which were back to the Renaissance, and how artists such as Artemisia Gentileschi or Sonnefisba Anglisola, because I really know how to pronounce these names, but we're going to pretend, we're going to pretend I know how to pronounce things. They are very amazing women artists. And the only reason they got put into the history books is probably because of their wealth. You know, their wealth is really what put them in. Unfortunately, there have been many more women artists that were lost to time. And because of this intrinsic need of making women into a marginalized group, as well as, you know, other people who belong to different kinds of marginalized groups, uh, were ignored or used as props within the renaissance era paintings and 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 so on and so forth even but uh focusing on the renaissance i uh i read this book that was really good i recommend this book called the caliban and the witch by silvia federici which is 
essentially taking a lot of Marx's philosophies and such and putting it through a feminist perspective. And I would recommend people reading that. I was, when I was reading that, I couldn't help but see exactly the philosophies that are about putting people into marginalized groups in order to take advantage of them and ultimately forget them throughout time. So I was thinking that when I was doing my thesis for the Renaissance women about how so many of them are just lost to time, which is completely unfortunate. And I really wish, and I remember reading about how a lot of women at the time were not given access to writing, to learning how to write or read so that we couldn't hear about their voices either. So it's it's completely awful. And we can still see a lot of these unfortunate discrepancies within modern time. Like, uh, like we, we still have struggled to get women animators in the industry and such. How is it in the graphic design industry uh, for women and not non men in general? Oh, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. or people of other marginalized groups. How is well, it in comparison? In my office right now, I have I work in a very a small company under fifty people, um, and uh, due to non disclosure, you know, bullshit in hiring contracts, I'm not going to do any direct naming or anything but i can definitely give you the gender breakdown in my department two women that's it uh out of how many uh well how many warm bodies yeah warm bodies as a company's under 50 people right now uh so um in my department there is our manager and then there are um four other designers for what we do in this part of the company uh, and only two of us. So that's 50-50 right now in the, on the, the, my part. Um, we have one gentleman who is, um, uh, African-American and white. So he's mixed. Uh, everybody else is Caucasian. Um, we have, uh, let's see in the other department, the other side of the business, there are two women and one, two, three, four, five guys so we've only got in my actual bullpen of artists there's only four women um and that are designers uh there's a couple other women one's a secretary one's uh updates but it it really is when i first started working there was there was only two other women i was like the third of female to be in the design department and the company's been around nearly 20 years so it's kind of like, okay. <laughs> um, hiring was a very interesting situation because, you know, you have a resume, you have a portfolio, you show your skills, you show your strengths. I'm one of those people when I job hunt, I specifically look for a job that I know I can do. Uh, if I can learn new stuff while on the job, I'm very happy to do that. But the basic job criteria, I want to already be capable of doing. I don't want to go... I don't lie to get a job. I don't like that. I find that incredibly dishonest. And I know people who have done that. And it just makes me grind my teeth. Uh, because hey, your friend. <laughs> but, but it doesn't. Yeah. So 
in the past, though, obviously, I have gotten graphic design jobs, so I, I've beat out other people to get those jobs. But it has been very, very... <laughs> I haven't ran across a lot of women designers, just put it that way. Um, I don't want to say it's rare because my classes seem like they were... I don't, they weren't skewed 50-50. They definitely weren't. They they were heavier, heavier, heavier towards guys or people presenting male. Uh, but it was just one of those things where it's like, to come across another uh, another woman designer, it was always interesting to me. Now, the specific job I have is actually, I don't want to say it's it's not gender neutral because it, it does lean more heavy towards sports-related things. And that tends to lean more towards you know, guys. But um, yeah, that's one of the things that the other girl in my department, woman in my department, we talk about the fact that there there's very little call for a feminine feel to art. We actually have to make it either neutral or lean it towards heavy masculine feel. So you've got your, your bold lines, you've got your jagged edges, you've got your very there's not a lot of flow. There's not a lot of soft. There's not a lot of um, of of uh, lyrical lines or anything like that. Uh, it, things lean more Art Deco if you want to get into technical terms where there's very little Art Nouveau. There's very little flowy. There's very little subtle or soft. Everything is bold, hard, in your face because it is. It leans towards more of a sports bent. And that was sheer accidental on my part. <laughs> Uh, because when I was reading the job posting, it did not give descriptions one way or the other. It just gave competency of what you can and can't do and what they were looking for. And my first reaction is, oh, well, I can do all of that. And I can do all of that. It's not a problem. But it's just one of those things where I'm kind of bored out of my mind um, because <laughs> I find it a little simple. There's no challenge. I, I don't get to actually. I have to use a different set of judgments, a different a different set of design skills, and a lot more mental thought of, okay, will this work? Will this won't work? Does this fit what they're looking for? And it's nothing that I find appealing. So it's one of those things where I actually have to set my own personal taste aside, and that is something that graphic designers need to be able to do. You need to be able to set your own choices aside of what you like and don't like, and give the give your client what they want. Sometimes you have to steer your client towards a better idea. Sometimes that's hard. Uh, a lot of our clients are uh, coaches and I've sadly developed a little bit of a prejudice against some coaches because they can be, I, I had one the other day, I was talking to him on the and that's the other thing, my job, I talked directly to clients and talked to him on the phone. And it was a situation where he flat out said he had no artistic skill or ability. So he was very much leaning on me for my design choices and my perspective on things. But he wanted to keep things as traditional as possible. Well, that does take a lot of the guesswork out of it. But if traditional as possible is this most grainy 72 DPI horrible image that they've had around since the 1920s. Uh, there's not a lot you can do there i remember seeing this post on social media about this woman who kept struggling to find clients for her job i don't quite remember what the job was so it doesn't necessarily have to be about art but what you were saying reminded me of 
how she struggled to find clients up until she switched with a co-worker the way she signs her name at the end of her email and how immediately she started getting so many clients and a lot of them were complying with her really easily in comparison to her male co-worker. And that reminds me a lot of the kind of corporate almost environment that you're speaking about how even if even if there's not a lot of women and women in the area it's still they the ones who are there also still struggle with a lot of clients that are sexist against women i've actually experienced that firsthand um particularly when i would have somebody who was just they were just being unreasonable they weren't explaining themselves. They weren't giving me direction. They just really were not wanting to work with me. And this is via email. So it's like, you know, I'm being professional. I'm being, my language is, is as professional as I can be in my emails. Um, the only contact we had verbally was the first time they called in and I took their information down and everything else is followed through via email. And so it, it got to the point where I finally was like, I, this, this, and that was a guy would not he just wasn't listening to me he wasn't believing me when i was explaining what was going on and what was the limitations um so finally i was just like you know what this is this is out of my hands this is above my pay grade i go and i spoke to my supervisor about it and i'm like look i really need you to take over and handle this guy my supervisor was confused until i finally was like I'm reading between the lines. He just needs a guy to tell him this because he isn't going to believe me. And that's all it took. That's extremely frustrating. I haven't been able to break into the animation industry as of yet. It's very competitive. But I have done commissions in the past. And I've noticed that a lot of commissioners who tend to be men tend to ask for a lot of edits continuously even after a commission is done and I even state in my policies that I don't edit a commission after it's done because I've worked with them I usually try to work with the clients in in detail about about uh what they particularly want in a commission during its early stages I find when they decide to have any kind of minor edits extremely frustrating and i remember this little cheat that i don't know i i don't know if it works for everybody about the putting an obvious annoying red dot somewhere on the piece and then if they will ultimately say can you remove that and of course you will but it's not you know, it's it's not something you intended to be there. It's just a way for them to just correct you, even though it doesn't need correction because you know what you're doing. But it's so that they can they can not bother you any further. <laughs> uh, have you implemented these kind anything like that in your uh, in your experience? Uh, I have definitely done the bad option, medium option, good option. So give them three choices. One of them is obviously shit. Uh, then you have the moderate one, and then you have the good one. Um, sometimes I've had 
I try not to be that manipulative. I try to let people, I try to give people what they want. Um, but yeah, I've, I've had to do that in the past where it's like, okay, this is obviously terrible. Um, so like I had one design where they wanted this image uh, scattered randomly in the background of the piece. And I, they were trying to make it look like a f- trees. It was not trees, but they wanted this gradient faded forest look because uh, that was the the example they had seen that they really liked. So they wanted us to try to mimic that, uh, me to try to mimic that with a totally different object that was not a tree. <laughs> and it was not going to look the same no matter how many times I altered it and rearranged it and gradiated it and faded it into the background. It wasn't going to look like a tree. And, uh, of course, it had to go up against the peanut gallery because there were several people that had an opinion of this. So once they got the art proof, they were looking at it. And I knew it was not going to look right. And, yeah, they came back and they finally all agreed that that was not going to do what they wanted it to do. And they went with the better suggestion. And you can do the very simple thing of having the three image, the three choices and having the middle one be the best option. People always gravitate towards that. Um, if you have a slightly larger circle around it or you know you have the color red in it or you have there's there's little tricks and things you can do to steer people towards the right choice but those are things you learn in graphic design and in advertising and marketing and I try so hard not to have to use that but when I've gotten fed up with somebody and I've done you know 15 revisions and it's something simple I just I will. I will just be mean and I will just manipulate and do the, no, pick, pick one. <laughs> pick, pick the right one. <laughs> it's a, it's unfortunate that you have to do these kinds of things because, you know, probably some of it is unintentional because a client is just not aware of how art works, whether it's graphic design or uh, some kind of something else you know oh yeah you can definitely people you can definitely know. tell when you've got somebody who is listening absorbing what you say but i've turned around and i had oh god okay so there's one horror story um and i've got many horror stories when it comes to clients uh so <laughs> this podcast is now clients from hell actually <laughs> but it is art related but it's also people don't read People don't pay attention to things. So when you have got a graphic designer creating something for you, an artist in general creating something for you, actually look at what they give you. Because um, I do create an art proof. I create something for them to look at and decide what they need changed or if they like it or if something needs to be larger or smaller. So I give scale. I give color lists. I show you what it is. I had this one particular coach who, if I ever meet in a dark alley, will go very poorly for him. Uh, so back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Um, this went on for months. So via email, back and forth, lots of little tiny changes, things here and there, added, things removed. Finally, product gets approved, done, printed, and out the door. Not even five days later, I get an email of why was this thing a certain color? Why wasn't it the, the the color that it was supposed to be? I'm 
I'm flabbergasted. All over all of my art proofs over the past however many months we've been working this, I had this thing called out as brown because the item is actually brown. That is what it's supposed to be. <laughs> it's a fucking football. It's brown. So I had this set up and I had it all done. And it got it got approved. It got signed. It got printed. It got paid for. And he gets it. And he doesn't understand why it's brown. And he's upset that it's brown, even though on every single art proof I had given him for over five months, it had been brown. Um, yeah, I do not comprehend how anybody could ignore that. Uh, it wasn't small. It was the only color on the piece. Everything else was black and white. And it was brown. <laughs> I don't get it. So we, we've got a running joke in my office that people don't look at the art proofs. They just don't read. And it's like, how? I don't get it. You're, you're buying a piece of art. Why are you not looking at it? I just, I, it floors me. I'm not Man. the only one who's had problems with him. Uh, the other woman uh, today, she just got him as a client and I warned him quickly. Uh, and one of the, uh, other gentleman who's in my department also has had him in the past and he says the exact same stuff. So it's, um, so yay for that. But it's still how I, I do not comprehend that one in the slightest. <laughs> yeah. And I remember, uh, I unfortunately can't remember the comic off the top of my head. I tried looking it up, but there was this comic about this, comic artist and he was a black comic artist and illustrator and he was talking about how he had to lighten the skin tone of a comic character because her identity has shifted over the years and I'm using air quotes obviously uh, has shifted over the years and has been lightened over the years unfortunately and there's this big discrepancy for black and brown artists as well uh, within any kind of work. A very long history of discrimination as well as theft of work. Oh, yeah. If we look into a lot of too, the modern, yeah. Yeah, especially a lot of the... This is why Picasso sucks. <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, go ahead. Uh, tell us how you really feel. Lay it on us. Yeah. Okay, I will say, Picasso is probably, I hate him. You know, to be fair, he's probably just as bad as every other modern artist of the time. But I particularly hate him because of cu because cubism is one of my favorite art styles. So, But uh, a lot of the artists, a lot of French artists of the time used uh, African art, and especially with regards to the masks. If we look at Le Mademoiselle's de Avignon that he's made. It's the influence of that is very clear, and yet it was never not only never credited, it was never acknowledged. Acknowledged, yeah, exactly. And the there's long history of theft from black and brown artists, as well as making these characters if we go tie back to sequential art uh characters lighter or 
I'm again air quotes altering their identity so to compensate you know for that the anti-blackness and whitewashing of these characters yeah or the, the flat-out racism if you again look really disney <laughs> oh, song yes, of definitely. the south yeah yeah I, I was thinking of the crows from dumbo but the song of the south is is you know the the quintessential I mean, those, of what we're discussing some racist crows yeah but the, <laughs> those are some racist ass crows um but yes song of the fantasia oh that my poor, god that poor little she got cut and then they're like she never existed and we're like bitch we have the receipts yeah, no shit. The 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 one centaur or or the 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 centaurs that were uh black that had the zebra half. Yep. And you know, this has been discussed before and I like Rubber Hose animation because of what it it's so dynamic and interesting and s- simple in a lot of ways, very stylistic. There's still also a lot of racism tied with it, a lot of, you know, influence from anti-black minstrel shows and such like that. It's it's not something that should be forgotten. I feel like a lot of people tend to not connect these kinds of dots together. A lot of these kinds of characters, as much as, you know, they have a history. You know, Mickey Mouse, very popular. <laughs> has very racist roots and it's it's important to not forget these kinds of things when it comes to art and once again art is political and art shows you know art shows time period art shows so um speaking of racist art that the woman who purchased it i don't think she even thought of it that way which is great for her uh she was i was working at a frame shop um so I've I've had a couple different jobs as a professional framer, which is, you know, taking art and putting it in, you know, the framing it so it can go up on your wall. So um, uh, she brought in this piece and it was blatantly racist. I mean, I looked down at this drawing. It was of a young black girl. Happy as can be, you know, the, the cornrows and pigtails and just so many bows coming off of her head because her hair was all done up in braids. And she was clearly a poor girl because her, her dress was was worn, covered in patches. She had candy coming out of her pockets. And she just, she was elated. So the artist was definitely trying to capture happy. But the stylization was poor Southern girl who was happy she had candy. And because we're supposed to write descriptions of the art when we took it in. So that way, if it got mixed up with somebody else's, you could know what you were supposed to be working on. Um, and I'm looking at this piece and I had my brain blanked on what to write down as a description because the only th- thing I could think of was horrible racist piece of art. And I couldn't figure out what to write. Um, and this woman is staring at me as I'm looking at this piece mouth agape. But she had bought it while she was in, I want to say Louisiana on vacation. So probably New Orleans area ish. And it was, I was just like, oh my God, (laughs) it was, it was terrible. There's some interesting context going on there um, with the whole, because that's not necessarily what I think of when I think of poor rural South. No, I've, I've lived in the poor rural South. That ain't it. Uh (laughs) There's lots of, I mean, it's. 
from from my time in crime and sports, it's either a very white poor town or it's a very black poor town. Um, but there's lots and lots of very poor white towns. Um, oh, oh yeah, even even in the north too. I mean, that's where my high school was, unfortunately. But yeah, that's it. Was just one of those things that just struck me so off guard that I was just like, I don't know what to write. I mean, because she was buck tooth, big lipped, big nose, rosy cheeks. But it was just every stereotype you could think of. And I was like, oh, this is awful. So very much bordering on caricature. Oh, very caricature. Very caricature. Um, and that was that was the thing that just I could not get past. It just stunned me that much that this woman was so happy she bought this piece and was going to frame it and have it put in her house and put it in her house. I was just like, um, that's wild. That's actually wild. And she was Caucasian, <laughs> and it was just, of, of course. course, and it was just, <gasps> um, a different experience I had with uh, things like this. I am again working in frame shop. Uh, I had a very lovely old white Southern couple in North Carolina, South Carolina ish, somewhere around there come in very heavy accented um and they had a one money note so a one like a equivalent to a dollar and a five dollar money note from the Conf cotton confederacy the uh south carolina cotton confederacy money notes um buttons off of her ancestors great granddaddy i don't know how many great back uh confederate soldier uniform um his his pocket bible a uh, replica of his photograph and a few other pieces that she wanted to have framed but of course that she wanted preservation she wanted it all taken care of because this was family history i get that what i felt so bad for was the gentleman who took the order was my coworker who was an african american gentleman <laughs> and i came up when his shift was ending and I came up to, to see what he was, and he's looking at me and he's looking at this stuff and he goes, I don't want to touch that blood money. And I looked at him completely in the face and said, I can understand. I will take care of it. You do not have to touch this. And I understood why that was such a horrific thing for him to even see, but it was like, I two sides of the coin there. This is their family heritage. I'm glad they want to preserve it because it is history. It does need to be preserved, but I did not feel that that he did not need to deal with that. So it was just one of those things where it's like, can we time this a little better, please? <sighs> yeah, no. Some people That's... just don't think. Obviously, that that older couple, and I got to see him when they came in because they picked up the piece. I was the one who presented it to him, um, and she was a very very nice woman. She, you know, she she didn't. I don't believe she had any malice in her about it. But it was just one of those things where, it was like, the timing was just the worst it could have been because he was the one who had to take the order. I'm gonna sail in here because I would like to point out that. That's how casual racism works, is yes. that it doesn't occur to you that maybe you should not make a black man take a framing order for a bunch of Confederate, Confederate shit. memorabilia. Yeah, know. You know, that's just the, it doesn't, it just doesn't occur to you to see how it impacts the people around you. Everything, everything we choose to put up in our homes, everything we choose 
to support everything in art is political going all the way back to your point. Um, art was our first means of communication. We were drawing before we were writing. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's how furries were created. They're the first, you know, creations of people were animal people and they were gods. You know, that's that's the origin of fur furries, everyone. That's that's it. Go home. What did I just miss? <laughs> uh, we were getting into the getting back to the art is a form of communication. Um and thus has an agenda and thus is innately political. Uh, we were drawing <laughs> before we were writing. Cave painting. That is true. And, is and true. Huey had to go, uh, Huey, who is a giant furry. Spoilers, everyone who listens to the podcast, Huey's a furry. If you hadn't figured that out from like the last th two or three episodes, our sound engineer is a furry. So draw me, draw me art of my fursona, everyone. They're a hyena. Please. Oh, I was going to say, do you make costumes? Because we can talk costume design and stuff like that. Oh, I've been I've been wanting to get into the fursuiting, but uh, we can we can definitely talk about that later. Okay. <laughs> I mean, if we're going to talk about costuming, which we can, we will we get can... to your costume tomorrow. <laughs> oh no no no! I was I wanted to get into the because we've got animation and we've got art and we've got representation of women and minorities. And let's look at representation in gaming and in costuming, because very recently we had a woman uh, disqualified from cosplay competition for, it wasn't necessarily traditional blackface, because blackface makeup is a highly stylized and very specific Oh yeah, and very car cartoony in and of itself yeah. is almost a caricature. It's, it's very caricature. It's horrifying. Um, please know what blackface actually is uh, when you're using that word. It's a specific thing. Um, but she had artificially darkened her skin to portray the character. Uh, was this the woman who was trying to who the did French woman? I was going to say the one who did the excellent job uh, recreating the character from The Walking Dead, or is this a different lady? Uh, no, this is. Um, ugh, we'll have to look this up. Where's our Where's our Where's our lookup monkey? Uh, busy. All of our lookup monkeys are busy. We will get this information. Um, but she was. Uh, I think it was French cosplay. She was specifically disqualified for what they said was blackface. Um, she artificially darkened her skin for this character and she doesn't understand why she's being called out. This goes all the way back to the, um, uh, you know, this feeds into the goth community and Europeans being super casually racist or, and then very defensive about being called out about, um, appropriative behavior or, don't forget just about the Netherlands straight and racism. their entire holiday. I mean, yeah, that's that's just straight up blackface. Let's not, you know, Zwartspeet is blackface and is a caricature and stop doing it. For the love of God. It's yep. 20. And people are still upset if if that's if that's called out Oof. for some fucking reason, even though it's 2019 and it's recognizable to be blackface by literally everyone Hey, ever. we still have people that think the world is flat, so unfortunately. Of course, yeah. 
we can also be, have can be dumb. Um, um, but the I'm gonna still wear this cosplay because I spent like three thousand euros on it. Then don't then don't use makeup. Uh, the problem no. isn't the costume. Then, the problem is that you darkened your skin in a way that made you look black. Hmm. That is the problem. I am actually unaware of this, but it doesn't surprise me, sadly. Um, I do want to say that it's actually kind of a thing that happens in a lot of... Because I used to do some cosplaying here and there. Not not great. We don't want to talk about how bad I was, but uh, I've done, I used to do some cosplaying in the past, and it's actually a fairly common thing occurrence. And we can actually go into this interesting topic if we're going to get into it. And I'm of the opinion that if there is a character that is black or brown or you know in any way just not white i don't yeah. think it's appropriate for white people to cosplay them because then it starts feeling it's starting to border on this really uncomfortable ter- territory if not already be in this uncomfortable territory of racism there it is it's pike i mean that is an amazing cosplay but mm-hmm. hmm. It's the armor and the veil that make the character. You don't need the dark bodysuit. I was looking at the the drawn-on tattoos and things like that. Now, that's part of the bodysuit and the scarring on the face and the head. Um, But yeah, that's... (sighs) Um, A friend of mine who is a a cosplayer... um, and he proudly plays a lot of black cosplays because Jonah he is also African American. Um, he's done a beautiful Nick Fury. We, uh, my husband and I, Isaiah Bradley, the Black Captain America Shield. Um, we we actually did that commission for him. Um, we've had this conversation about blackface because it offends him something horribly. And I was curious about people trying to change their skin color like to go blue or pink or purple or you know something that's not a human color um and depending on how they pull it off depends on his opinion so if it it looks like you're trying to make yourself blue to say like you know it's for mystique or nightcrawler or something along those lines that apparently doesn't bug him but when you're trying to go- cosplay like a drow and you just go complete blackout no grays, no purples, no highlights, no lowlights, just drow. Apparently that bothered him because it was too close to what's accepted as blackface, even though we have been very distinct about blackface being a very particular uh, caricature. Um, and it, I couldn't really wrap my head around it. I was like, you know, the whole darkening your skin for a character, for something you're trying to pull off. I would love to feel that people are doing it because they admire or find something admirable about it. And that's what they want to do. But it's such a fucking touchy subject that it it just, it startled me how, how it's just kind of a fuzzy ground. And what's your guys' opinion on that? First of all, I think that there's so little representation for marginalized groups, especially black and brown characters, especially in a positive manner. Uh, already so I think that it would be a reasonable idea to not cosplay those kinds of characters on top of the aspect of where it's essentially a I know we talked about how blackface is very specific but it's also 
a form of blackface. But essentially, I also think that a character is coded beyond just, you know, skin color. I, I know that there are many characters that do have, you know, outrageous skin colors like blue or green or whatnot. But at the same time, they're still coded to be non-white in some kind of way. You know, a lot of aspects of culture and experience is not just with regards to skin color, but also what a character can has experienced or specific coding. Uh, You know, trans coding is also very LGBT coding in general, actually, is very specific uh, experience that people who don't belong to those experiences may not pick up on. But it is, I think that it's not just a skin color situation in a lot of ways. Mentioning the fact that, you know, people that are uh, characters that are of different skin tones that are fantastical, uh, like the blue, made me think of um, Avatar, the uh, James Cameron flick from a few, several years ago, where they were very, very obvious coded Native American in the most cartoonish aspects of what white people think Native Americans are. Yeah, and they were, of course, blue. Uh, So I I guess, yeah, that does make a good amount of sense, now that you say it that way. So I think that when it comes to cosplaying or costuming or whatever, I think there's always representation for people who are white and want to cosplay a character from a particular show and or movie or whatever and if there isn't any you know that sucks but there's other media they can take a step back you know and I think it's just important to be a good ally in general is to just take a step back and acknowledge that you know people who belong to marginalized groups don't often get representation and Sometimes the representation they get is very um, uncomfortable. Um, we can get into the whole topic of how a lot of black and brown representation is, or indigenous representation are often inhuman in some way. And that's very uncomfortable already because of, of the implications of that. You know, they were making a point of the most recent. Uh, oh, I shouldn't say most recent, but uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy, the the second one, where they had um, Mantis, and they had Mantis as well as Drax. Even though Drax is stated as having a heterosexual relationship, there were apparently lots of people who were feeling that Mantis was coded potentially by because she was so emotional, cerebral she isn't all there she doesn't get everything that's going around her because of her abilities and drax being an incredibly literal character they're dynamic and there was an article i read and forgive me for not remembering all of it but it was basically pointing out how it's not cool that that was the only representation they were showing and that's where these characters were kind of coded and i think they were leaning towards mental illness or mental um issues with one of them or both of them but i couldn't remember quite how that went but it was just something that i found very interesting and then of course uh, captain marvel came out and the controversy 
bureaucracy around all of that. And then the one tiny background guy who stated in the most recent Avengers flick about how his boyfriend got poofed or met a new guy or something like that. And he was, and Cap encouraged it. He wasn't against it. He didn't hate it. It didn't terrify him, which if I love Captain America, I love the way they created him, but if he would have stayed true to the time frame he would have lived in and everything of his mental state from the turn of the bloody century going into World War II, yeah, that would not have been the correct way to come out of his mouth. I'm glad they did it. Um, but it's just one of those things where it's like, really? That's that's your underhanded way of handling this? Uh, it was disappointing. I didn't see that as... I didn't see that as underhanding. That's exactly how it should be. It should not be a big deal to have queer people in fucking movies. No, Just I like, mean, they should have somebody who's front and center. They shouldn't have to do it in the background like that. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with that. Um, A lot of times people tend to put in LGBT representation as a very big side thing or characters that are exactly or characters that are lgbt are not shown to be lgbt freely on whatever media they're on you know often and that's that's to me it's pretty much as having no representation because it's kind of like like you said it's an afterthought you are invisible even if you exist you know and that's depressing i wonder over the centuries how much art was because there's been rumors forever that Da Vinci was gay, uh, that he actually hated women, and that the Mona Lisa is actually his drag, basically. I wonder how many artists were closeted and were just, that was their outlet. I know there's probably plenty written about that. I don't know if I feel that way about Da Vinci. It truly doesn't matter to me one way or the other with his art. I still love Da Vinci's work. Uh, mainly for his scientific uh, contributions. He created the first bloody contact lens concept. I loved that. He was brilliant to the point of genius bordering on insanity at some point. The other thing is he was a sketch artist. I love that because that is my main outlet for creativeness is just to grab a sketch pad and doodle. Granted, I don't doodle in several languages backwards, but <laughs> give me a few more years. I actually want to say that there has been a lot of, there has been LGBT people since the beginning of time. Oh God, yes. It's just always been erased, you know? Mm -hmm. And there's always been beautiful, amazing creations by non-white mm -hmm. people and civilizations that have either been erased or co-opted, you know? co-opted or seen as not that big of contributions or whatnot you know it's a, unfortunately a thing that a lot of historian people whether it's you know people documenting sculpture or writing or whatever it's been a thing to erase victorians mm -hmm. yes and then in the modern what happens era? in modern day well too? in the modern era there's this um habit of blackfishing which you know pop culture stars indulge in 
and media darlings indulge, indulge in where they appropriate portions of black culture for profit. Um, Ariana Grande is a white girl. Yeah. She's super white. She is. You wouldn't know it. Uh, I, I was if just you were just say, now aware of her, you wouldn't know it at all. <laughs> I, I was going to point out Elvis. <laughs> Oh yeah. yeah, I mean it's been going on for a long time, but people know t- people who listen to this podcast are a- possibly a little bit more aware of Ariana Grande than they are of Elvis. Elvis, Elvis's <laughs> roots. Yeah, we're, we're we're catering to my people, the millennials. Um, but uh, I, is that why no, we're not making any money? It's because our entire listener base is fucking poor. That's okay. Yeah, it's okay. I love you anyway. Thank you. For listening. <laughs> Listen, it all leads back to capitalism, okay? <laughs> this is not about cap I mean capitalism does silence a lot. Um <laughs> but um, it all leads back to capitalism and in the end. Uh Western Westernization and capitalism just capitalism. Yeah, westernization and capitalism, but you know, I, I gotta I gotta make sure. <laughs> capitalism is the catchy term. Come on now. <laughs> uh one of the things uh I remember it, so I got asked once upon a time while I was still in uh art school the first time around by a black coworker, she wanted a mural piece done for her, her home. Uh multi panel painting piece. And when we discussed it and what she was looking for, and the reason she asked me is I was probably the only artist she knew at the time. We both worked third shift. My Oh, yeah. My first time in college, as I mentioned, uh, worked third shift and went to school full time. So as I said, sleeping was optional. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was a wonderfully sweet woman. We got along great. Uh, We both were Trekkie, Star Trek nerds, and we got to geek out together, which was great. But she was in her, at the time, I was in my very early 20s she was in her late 50s so extreme dynamic much much older very sweet loving black woman and uh her name was alicia we got along so well even with the 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 age difference and everything and again we had mutual interests so she asked me about doing this mural for her, and I never got to actually do it because I never had the time to do it. And thankfully she understood, but I did get to get her some rough drafts. Um, but she wanted this jazz piece, and that was exactly how she described it. She wanted bright colors. She wanted wavy music bar. She wanted the black silhouettes of her favorite jazz musicians. Mm-hmm. So she had given me the names, and forgive me, I am jazz uh lover so i do not remember any of the names <laughs> but um she wanted their silhouettes and she wanted the, the the colors to be in the the music bar and she wanted the notes everywhere and just vibrant bright colors with these beautiful black silhouettes on top of them and multi-panel piece but i always took it as a great compliment that she asked me even though i never got the opportunity to actually fulfill the piece for her she actually asked me to do it for her and that had nothing to do with race boundaries or anything like that it had everything to do with talent and the fact that she and i were friends and it it was just one of those things that made me very happy i think that 
representation is particularly it's not just important it's required yeah, it's necessary in a lot of way exactly yeah and i think about how even a lot of characters that are either lgbt or non-white or anything of the like they tend to be sanitized for the sake of default audience as well as i feel that sometimes racism and transphobia is and lgbt phobia in general is used as a plot device that's so very concerning i i think about the bioshock infinite <laughs> uh, the beginning of bioshock yes. Infinite all the time when i think about that, that was horrible i saw that opening and i was just like you know what um kind of want to fuck this game and the fact that throughout that whole game yeah the racism is just so prevalent and then you get to the end or you get to those alternate dimensions and there's that one where they're the 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 vox populi is taken over and they're talking about you know pulling it out by the root or getting it by the root she says and you're just like no no now you've gone too far now you've gone to an extreme and you're just as bad as the other people which really i mean it's a human thing to do that but it kind of pissed me off because i'm like no you're you're making it so it's okay for them to hate you oh i hate this so yeah, I I did not that ah, that annoyed me. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. That annoyed me. <laughs> yep, and that's just one game among so many other games that utilize these kinds of struggles of marginalized people in such a uncomfortable and terrible way and it's clearly it's it's basically the creator saying straight up like your life is a prop obviously this is you know there are games about struggles with you know lgbt phobia and racism and misogyny and so on and so forth but usually those games are about like the creator themselves is borrowing from their own vocabulary you know you would hope but that's not always the case but yeah i i um i definitely see what you're saying there and it it is frustrating i agree and i i'm 100% behind the fact that yeah there needs to be representation across the entire spectrum of every i i like when games have the creation choice of your character so you can choose male female looks um skin tone all of that i wholeheartedly approve of that and that needs to be more of the norm and not just the default storyline like you said of the and i know you said middle-aged white guy but it's it's not a dude it's 35 it's a dude who's like you know 20 20 something so it's 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 uh, i don't know my roommates yeah. my roommate states it very well you know teenage power trip where it's you know like the 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 young the the target audience is using that as their power fantasy art can be that art can be that for people you can use that for your advantage um 
I was told very early on in my life, my art was very angry that people could feel and see um, a lot of my internal torment and frustration and just general pissed at the world. Uh, I was stuck in a small town, BFE, Ohio. Yeah, I was surrounded by a ton of bigots, racists, and and um, misogynists. And my family was not that. I was raised by a incredibly open-minded um, single father musician. So I had a very funny, caring, outgoing, and and goofball for a dad. Um, and so I saw it outside of the house. Thankfully, my household was. A household was my my nice place. I could go hide from the world because where the school was just hell. Um, for me, uh, I did not. Uh, it was literally the middle of nowhere, Cowtown, Ohio. It was fields, farms, and sh- tractors to prom. I mean, that's literally what it was. And so I used art as my outlet. It was my way to just get away from all of that and express my rage at having to deal with that um, because it was beyond unfair. Uh, my first 10 years of my life was literally at the beach, Atlantic Beach, Jacksonville, Florida. I mean, it was melting pot extraordinaire. Um, and my best friends in, in school were, you know, several black girls, a couple gentlemen who had uh, uh latino roots uh because their their families were um uh from cuba and uh it just it, i was in a big melting pot and then i moved to this very very segregated tiny all white community and it just drove me insane how ignorant and i use the term, term ignorant correctly they did not know what the rest of the world was actually like they only knew their little homogenized area and that breeds bigotry and i hate that it just drove me insane um and I, it came out in my art it was very evident like i said was very very angry <laughs> and uh worried a lot of my family and friends just because of that and it was just the way i was dealing with that aspect of everything um i had to deal with more misogyny obviously than bigotry uh but it still was enough that i was pissed off on my my old friends behalves i'd hear these people spouting nonsense and bullshit and the only time they'd ever seen anybody of a different skin color was on tv and that didn't help because the stereotypes you saw on TV and in movies was just unpleasant at the time because this was the mid nine or early nineties. And ugh, it, it just it 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 colors how you how I was coming across to people because I was just so frustrated at all of this. So yes, representation as well as um, the ability to. Uh, expose people to things that they're not used to particularly in a medium they enjoy so if they enjoy video games yes have people of color have people of different um sexual backgrounds orientations gender fluidity desensitize people to this because these are real people this is real things there are people in the world that they're going they're going to run into they can't sequester themselves in the 
the homogenized all Caucasian little universe that they would like to live in. That's not the world, and you're never going to make the world like that. So just go put your head in a hole if that's how you think you need to be. So yes, representation in a medium they're going to be exposed to, be it video games, be it movies, be it stories, be it books, is required because otherwise you're going to have a lot of, well, you're going to have a lot of assholes shooting up people, which we have a lot of that now anyway. Yep, exactly. And uh, and in general, when I, when I was... Uh, one of the main reasons why I wanted to make my thesis a game. Still a good thing I didn't because that five minute animation at 24 frames per second ate my life for a year. But... <laughs> Sorry, I just, I know your but... pain. <laughs> but ignoring that, uh, the reason why I wanted to make it into a game is not only for representation, but also to connect with people that struggled with these kinds of situations. I, I'm reminded of a game I played a while back, Coming Out Simulator by Nikki Case. It was a very simple game, really touched me. Trigger warning for people who do want to play it. There's homophobia, violence, and so on and so forth. It's not super explicit, but it, it is potentially triggering. But it is probably one of the games that has, in fact, touched me deeply just because it was clearly the creator was in fact creating it from a very personal raw standpoint in which they wanted to just get out in the world I'm sure it was a type of catharsis for them but also a type of catharsis for players and also just a way a weird way of comfort you know even though the game is intense it's still kind of it's it's a form of comfort it's better to know that other people struggle with these kinds of things um so i think we're going to close out the podcast we've got uh is there any f- we've got, huh? well ilia has shit to pimp so oh yes. yeah i was about to say is there anything you would like to <laughs> add um closing statements I, I i guess we can we can pimp me out uh that sounds horrible um so uh i do personal graphic design i do um i can do logos i can do uh i'm not a web designer so please do not look for web design from me um coding and i hate each other uh immensely i can do illustration i can do photography if you're in my area i cannot travel um but uh, you can find me on Behance, um, just Ilea. Uh, and my email is Ilea, I L E A dot Hamrick, H A M R I C K, at gmail.com if you want a mission piece. Uh, I also do costuming, um, which you can see some of my costumes on my Deviant Art, which is Beloved Underwing. Um, and uh don't have a lot up there at the moment i've got some old stuff up but um noelle has actually got me to do some costuming for her as well as uh but just for the most part i i love graphic design and i love doing design for people so if you have an interesting idea or you are looking for somebody who can uh help you get past the problem with design cuz you need something done right 
I usually enjoy the challenge. All right. How about you, Noel? Got any closing statements? Um, well, there's our usual and very important close it. We're, you know, getting our oh-so-exciting closeout. Um, but I don't have anything to pimp other than uh, look for a Mage Inquisitor Lavellin at the Ohio Renaissance Festival closing weekend should all things come together. If not, I'm going to get it shot and the other costuming Ilya has worked on for me. Um, both of those will, uh, both of those shoots will show up on my Patreon, my personal one, which doesn't matter, which is not this podcast, which you should be supporting if you're listening to it. Um, also, buy stuff with Ilya's work on it at our merch store, because we put that shit on everything. Um, oh, that's right. You guys logo. did. <laughs> uh, literally, we could put it on every damn thing. Um, I'm so happy the rainbow one worked out so well, and you guys seem to love it so much. I was like, it's Hell queer yeah. as fuck. Let's keep it. Because that's just, you know, well, reinforces the, inter- talk- the intersectionality of things. It's yeah, just a badass logo. When we talked about design, that was something I was originally... Color? Do you want black and white? What are we looking at? So I'm so happy we got to do color with that. I, it turned out really, really well. Um, but... Uh, so anyway, and this is where I say... And I'm in charge, so I can make this work. Craig, get out. We All Have an X Chromosome is an XChromosomePodcast.com production. Executive producers are Noel Dial and Bill Malvesi. Executive director, Bill Malvesi. Associate technical director, Huey Algool. Associate news director, Brian Grimes. Music by Alpha Riff. Hosted by Noel Dial and Bill Malvesi.